Father in heaven, help us this morning to say wow at your son, to be astonished at him once again. Father, please do this work within us so we never grow tired of hearing about Jesus. We never grow tired of hearing the great news, the good news of the gospel. And Father, for those of us this morning who are feeling tired, who are feeling the strain of time or the strain of the year, we pray that you will renew us afresh. Pour out your spirit this morning to renew our hearts as we receive your word. And Father, we pray that you'll bless us and bless me and help me speak clearly from this passage as I ought for your glory, our joy, and our astonishment. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The year is 2007. It's April, two and a half months before the first iPhone would be released to the world. April 2007, and our church is away at the Chinese Christian Church of Brisbane camp for small churches coming together for our semi-regular church camp. Now, this particular year, a 10 years younger and much sprightlier Uncle Mike husband, elder of our church, was holding an afternoon elective on how to read the Bible for all it's worth. I attended this, I chose to attend this session uh, and this little workshop, and it was also mostly attended by teenagers from our Cooper's Plains congregation. During the workshop, Uncle Mike, he needs to refer to his Bible, but he doesn't have a physical one with him, so he whips out this. And I know what you're thinking, but you're wrong. It's not a phone, it's a PDA, a personal digital assistant. It does everything that a phone can do except call people. So Uncle Mike pulls out this personal digital assistant, this pocket PC. He starts tapping away, he finds a Bible app, and he starts reading out a scripture quote. Meanwhile, one of the teens sitting in this workshop, maybe around 13, 14 years old, Her mouth is open, her jaw has dropped to the ground. Is that a Bible? She was astonished. A small electronic device held in the palm of her hand, of his hand. A few clicks and a flicks of a stylus brought up a Bible. Wow, that was 11 years ago and how times have changed. Now everyone has a smartphone and maybe two or three Bible apps. Nowadays, people are more astonished that you would carry around a physical Bible. Personal computers more powerful than the computer that landed the Apollo 11 astronauts on the moon now live in your pockets. And that moment of amazement, of being astonished, well, it makes sense for a teenager who has never seen that before. But now that we're older, and now that we've lived more and seen more, it takes so much more to get us to be amazed, to leave us flawed, to make us astonished. It's the end of 2018, and we're beginning this new sermon series. Uh, It's a, a little bit odd in some ways, but in some ways it's also perfect At the end of 2018, we're all a bit older, and we're all a bit tired, and when we get older, and as we get more tired, we begin to lose our capacity to be astonished. 
Over this summer, we're starting this sermon series called Encounters with Jesus. We're going to read through the various narratives in the Gospels of people meeting Jesus. And through this series, my hope and prayer is that we'll be able to meet Jesus again through the eyes of those who met him and leave astonished at how wonderful and how beautiful and how awesome and glorious and mystifying and magnificent Jesus is. Today we begin looking at one of the only recorded incidences of Jesus' early life in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, For those not aware, this was relatively common practice around this time period. If you were writing a biography for someone famous, rarely did you have details surrounding their early childhood. So that's kind of why most of the Gospel writers don't include his early years. But what Luke gives us in these few verses is so precious. Uh, We begin with a traditional family journey. So if you have your Bibles there, have a look at chapter 2, verse 41, and read with me from verse 41 and 42. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. On the Israelite calendar, the Passover was the highest point. It was the yearly celebration of what had happened in Egypt, how God had rescued them from slavery with a mighty hand, how he rained down 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt and how the 10th and final plague, the plague of death, the death of each firstborn son was the climax. The yearly Passover reminded Israel that they had escaped this final plague when they sacrificed a male lamb and they painted its blood on their doorposts and their lintels. And how God, when he saw that blood, he passed over that house because in that house were people who believed God's promise and no plague fell on that home. Now notice in verse 41 that both parents were going to Jerusalem at this time. And at the end of verse 42, we read that it was their custom. And when you read the law of Moses in Exodus, it was the men who were encouraged to attend Passover yearly. The fact that both Mary and Joseph went together regularly as a family speaks of a wonderful godliness in this family. Uh, There are many traditions that families might have, annual holidays to favorite destinations, special dates to celebrate in special ways. I know of a family in Sydney who have four kids, and each year the parents take one child away and specially focus their attention on that child for 24 hours, doing whatever that child wants. Great stuff. I know of another family that likes to sit down on Friday evenings with their kids and watch videos of each other over the years to kind of build family memories. Another great tradition as well. See, we've all got traditions, whether they are big or small, exciting or even mundane. And the example here of Mary and Joseph is encouraging. It was their family tradition to go all go to the Passover together. God God was at the center of their family traditions. So let that be an encouragement to all of us. To let God and the gospel be at the center of our family, our activities as a family, and our family traditions. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus was 12 years old at this time. And that's a great age because the world is beginning to open up to him. The sights and the sounds would have... He, he would have seen and experienced firsthand the hustle and bustle of some 200,000 pilgrims pouring into Jerusalem for this event. Uh, don't pass over the words feast of the Passover too quickly. 
this was a monumental event. For, and for a 12-year-old Jesus, it might have been the unlocking of the understanding of who he was. He would have seen the rituals prepared. He would have seen the full contingent of priests lined up in two rows. He would have heard the sounds and the, of the horns being blown, signaling the start of the sacrifices. He would have eaten the lamb with his family and traditionally asked his father why this event was so important. As he then heard his father retell the moving story of Israel's escape from Egypt. His five senses were filled in this week-long celebration as he heard the story, as he saw the sacrifices, as he tasted the Passover lamb, as he smelt the burnt offerings, as he touched the rituals that went on, with all of this swirling in his little mind. It's no wonder that he had opted to stay behind. Have a look at verse 43. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. One of the tips I received uh, in preaching school was when something, when, when something is really obvious and you don't need to point it out, point it out. So let me state what might seem obvious in this passage. Jesus was truly a 12-year-old boy. He might have been a sinless 12-year-old boy, but he was still a 12-year-old boy, and he was growing and learning, just like every other normal human being. Now, I say this because we believe and we teach that the Bible teaches the incarnation, that Jesus was truly divine and truly human. He was not 50% human and 50% divine, adding up to 100% something. He, we, we, we don't believe that he was a mixture of human and divine, like a human-divine smoothie, right? creating some kind of third type of being. No, he was wholly human and wholly divine. But sometimes we forget that, in fact, he was a human being a human being who wasn't born with full knowledge of the ways of this world and needed to learn and to grow. And so as a 12-year-old boy, he didn't have the social awareness of an adult. And so when his family packed up and left for home, Jesus decided to hang around the temple a bit more. Now, it might be surprising that Joseph and Mary may have miscounted their family on the way home. I've heard of some parents, even here, who have accidentally left their kids at the shops uh, drove, drove home 10 minutes and realized that one of their kids was missing. And in those cases, no harm was done. So how did Joseph and Mary misplace Jesus for the entire road trip home? Kind of driving along their cart. Mary said, turns to Joseph. Jesus has been a bit quiet in the back. <laughs> you think he's all right? Yeah, he's probably just sleeping. Long nap, big week. The clue is actually in verse 44. See, they assumed that he was in the group they were traveling with. It wasn't uncommon. It wasn't uncommon for people coming from outside of Jerusalem to travel in big family clans, a massive road trip with a number of close families. 
right? a large number made up of made for friendly traveling companions and also provided security on the long roads to Jerusalem. So Mary, Joseph and Mary uh, rightly, I think, have assumed that Jesus was just hanging out with, with the kids from one of the other families. But that evening, as they go to kiss him goodnight, they noticed he wasn't there. Every parent goes through something like this, even if only briefly. We wonder where our children have disappeared to. But most of us have never lost a child like Joseph and Mary lost their boy. Now to get a sense of what this might be like, have a listen to this testimony of a mother who lost her child, not for 10 minutes, but for a much longer time. Not knowing where your child is or how he or she is being treated is one of the hardest things you will have to face. One minute you will feel a surge of hope, the next a depth of despair that will threaten your very sanity. Life will become an emotional roller coaster that won't really stop until you can hold your child in your arms again. Hanging on to my sanity for a minute at a time often took all of my energy. I could not begin to look several days down the road. Think about what Mary must have been going through. She must have been sick to her stomach. Not only had she lost her child, she had lost the Son of God. The angel told her in our first reading today that she, before she was pregnant, that this child would be God's forever king. The king over God's people who would reign forever and ever. And now she's lost him. It's not hard to think that both her and Joseph could not have slept a wink that night. They, they had gone out, they had gone a day, so they had, traveled one more, had to travel one more day back. Jesus was not on the road back to Jerusalem. A second night passes, and on the third day, the search begins. They search the city high and low, but no sign. And perhaps with the third day beginning to close, they could feel their hopes close around them. But then hope breaks through the clouds of despair. There he is, sitting in the temple. Verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Sometimes in this scene, it's pictured as Jesus in the middle uh, holding all of the attention of all the teachers in the temple. That's probably not an accurate picture because in verse 46, we see Jesus sitting, listening and asking questions. He, he's sitting with other students, not quite in the center, and yet at the same time, his questions and his answers are astonishing the teachers. Now, the word amazed there is usually used in the Bible not just to describe a sense of wow, that feeling of wow when you get when you see something amazing, like a, a beautiful sunset, a magician do a fantastic trick, eating and tasting something deliciously insane, insanely delicious. Right? But, but the word amazed carries more of a sense of the, of, the, of the idea of how in the world, 
How in the world did Jesus know what he knew? See, not only did Jesus amaze his teachers and with his questions and his insights, but there was also a sense of how in the world did he get so brilliant? Now, again, you might speculate that Jesus got brilliant because he very quietly snuck his God hat on and then just sat there with the teachers and went, no, 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 no. Verse 47 is meant to be read this way. Right? That's not how it happened. Instead, we should see Jesus as he is, not the teacher, but humbly sitting before the teachers, obviously studied in the scriptures, probably from his parents, also with the help of his heavenly father. Now, his parents are also astonished, not just at how Jesus appears to be so mature, but as you see from Mary's words, their astonishment, it's this mix of relief and profound stress. Uh, Mary's concern is completely understandable. It's been three days of high stress, no sleep, loss of appetite, grief at the loss of a child, but no time or space to grieve, panic-driven searching and blaming herself for not checking on Jesus. Read her words again in verse 48. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You, you totally get it, right? It, this is so understandable. And yet, the words are a little harsh. A little self-centered. Her reaction might be understandable, but the response of Jesus reveals that her reaction is actually a little more than self-serving. Her priorities are not quite the same priorities as his. Have a look at verse 49. He said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Now this last section of the story, as we move into point three on the outline, it's got this wonderful kind of dual-pronged play on the theme of Jesus being at home. First, he responds to Mary's self-serving reaction with a reminder of who he is. Jesus is God's son, first and foremost. The temple is where God's presence dwelt. And so when Jesus called this place, my father's house, he was making an extraordinary claim. He was saying, I am in a unique relationship with God, a relationship that no other human being has ever had. You see, God, when you flip through the Old Testament, don't do it now, but you know, as you read through it in yourself, you'll notice that God is referred to as Father only a very small handful of times in the Old Testament. And even then, it's never personal, it's very corporate. God is the father of Israel. No one in the Old Testament ever calls God my father. Jesus was the first ever to do this. And he did it to announce to the world that he was in a special and unique relationship with God that no one else had ever experienced. And the thing is this. That relationship that Jesus has with his Father is open to everyone who trusts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. See, he called God my personal Father in heaven. 
And as his followers, Jesus allows us that same privilege. We then don't just follow Jesus as our king, but we also have Jesus as our elder brother. And our brother invites us and anyone who loves and trusts him to see God as your personal father in heaven. Uh, Coming back to this passage for a moment, uh, what Jesus says here is massive. Remember, these are the first words of Jesus ever spoken in his life, the first words that we are told of. And they are words that reveal already his awareness of his divinity. He knew God was his father in heaven as much as he knew that the man standing next to his mother was his father on earth. Jesus is God's son. God is his father. Eighteen years later, when Jesus would officially start his ministry, this knowledge would become explicit in all of his teaching. There is none like Jesus. His parents don't quite understand this. And our story ends in verses 51 and 52. Have a look at verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. So Mary and Joseph were stressed out of their minds. Panic filled their hearts. And when they found their son and asked them, what were you guys? He asked them, what are you guys worried about? Don't you get that I was meant to be here? That must have been so jarring. Sorry, mum and dad, for stressing you out. No. What are you worried about? So it's no surprise that in verse 50 we read that they did not understand what he said. And yet in verses 51 and 52 we get the second prong of Jesus at home theme. Jesus was at home in the temple. It's where he belonged in his father's presence. But as a submissive 12-year-old, he also belonged at home with his earthly mother and father. And so that's what we see in these last few verses. He returned home. He lived obediently with his earthly parents and he grew. He grew in wisdom and he grew in grace and favor with men and with God. Mary never really understood all of this. And while she didn't get it, she did the right thing with what she did not understand. She treasured up all these things in her heart. This is the note that I want to finish on this morning. See, this passage gives us a glimpse into the self-awareness of Jesus. Even from a young age, at this pivotal event in Israel's calendar, he was aware of his own divinity and humanity. And Luke is writing this to astonish us. Just as the teachers were astonished at Jesus, just as his parents were astonished at him, Jesus wants us to leave astonished this morning. Mary was astonished. She didn't fully understand it all, but that feeling of being in awe of her son, she treasured that. Let me tell you, if you're not a Christian, or if you're not sure if you are, Jesus is astonishingly awesome. If you want to know how you can treasure Jesus like Mary did, it's as simple as understanding who Jesus is, what he has done for you, and believing and trusting it. So let me invite you to chat with me afterwards if you want to know more about that. And if you are a Christian here today, let me tell you, when, let me ask, let me ask, when was the last time you said, wow, that's something? We, we, we talked about that in the break. 
When was the last time, though, you were utterly astonished at Jesus as you read through the Gospels? When was that? Think back for a moment for yourself. When was the last time you sat there with your Bible in hand, utterly astonished at who Jesus was? When was the last time you held and gripped your Bible in utter thankfulness at how mighty and awesome and wonderful Jesus is? Is that, it's, it's that feeling of our conversion. Do you remember that? Of understanding who Jesus is, of what he's done for you, of how awesome and wonderful and good he is. Do you remember that? Maybe, maybe for you, that feeling is a distant, faded memory. Maybe it's distant because we're all a bit older now. We're no longer teenagers impressed with the Bible app on a PDA. We're grown-ups who have experienced everything Apple and Android can throw at us. We've grown up. We've learned that the older you get, the more it takes to fill your heart with wonder. One of my favorite stories from the Chronicles of Narnia uh, is in the book Prince Caspian. Lucy, one of the girls from the original The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, she's now back in Narnia, but it's a very different Narnia than the one she left behind. Now it's overrun again, and she needs to find, she needs to find help. She's searching for help in this book, and in this moment in this book in Prince Caspian, she's in the woods, I think she's lost, and she's searching for the great lion, Aslan. And the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, is allegorical for Jesus. And then we read this moment when all hope seems lost. A circle of grass, smooth as lawn, met her eyes, with dark trees dancing all around it. And then, oh joy, for he was there, the huge lion, shining white in the moonlight with his huge black shadow underneath him. But for the movement of his tail, he might have been a stone lion. But Lucy never thought of that. She never stopped to think whether he was a friendly lion or not. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. And the next thing she knew that she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his his neck as she could and burying her face in his beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy. At last, the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into his large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. For a time, she was so happy, she did not want to speak. 
And when C.S. Lewis wrote those words, I'm not sure he was thinking of our passage today. But he was saying the same thing as our passage today. The older we get, the more it takes to fill our hearts with wonder. And only Jesus is big enough to keep filling it. We're coming up to Christmas. And wouldn't it be great this Christmas if we could recapture again that Jesus is more astonishing than we remember, more beautiful than we could imagine, more wonderful than anything this world could offer us. And if you're here this morning trying to recapture that, pray and ask this Christmas that God would help you to recapture this. Plead with God that Jesus would be the treasure in your heart and ask God to help you to not lose your wonder. Let me pray. Our good, wonderful, most awesome, holy, loving Father, our Father, please help us to never lose our wonder of Jesus. Please help us to never outlive our awe and wonder of him. Amen.